This morning, um, going to again touch on the idea of the resurrection. How has the death of Jesus and his resurrection, how has it changed our life? So that's kind of the challenge. How has knowing that Jesus has risen from the dead made a difference? Now, Easter's coming, and uh, we are in the Lenten season. And it's the time of the year whenever we consider or meditate on the meaning of Jesus' death and his resurrection. The, gifts, the gift that we have been given through his death and resurrection, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of uh, right standing with God, the gift of eternal life, these are things that are who we are in Christ. But there's, there's more to that than you know, just stating or rattling off these types of these gifts that Jesus has given to us. Now, you know, I'm not um, overlooking the importance of Jesus in the garden and things like that. We're, we'll, we'll get to that as we get closer to Easter. But um, whenever we apply the freedom that Christ offers us from sin and from uh, death, we are, you know, I'm safe in the arms of my Father, that, that no matter what happens in life, we have this security, and then we deal with life. You know, we have the security of who we are in Christ, we are forgiven, so now we deal with the difficulties. The first scripture that I want to look at is John 8, 34 through 36. And Jesus answered, answered them, saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever but a son abides forever. Therefore, the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So when Jesus introduces this brief statement, he is saying most assuredly, and, and the idea is that he's emphasizing what I am about to tell you is very, very important. So most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin, commits sin means to practice sin habitually. It's, a, it's a, an ongoing an ongoing disaster in one's life. And this kind of slavery, this kind of sin, Jesus calls a slavery. And verse 35, and a slave does not abide in the house forever. So whenever he's talking about a slave, he did not not intend for us to think of a physical slave. He was thinking of it in the context of what is a spiritual slave. So it does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. So God intends for us, God's intention is for us to abide in him and with him. That in Christ we are changed, with Christ we are forever, we are forever with him. And we can never be anywhere that God is not, so God is with us. And so we find that it is important for us to see that a son, you and I, a child of God, a daughter of God, uh, that we are adopted into the family and God intends for us to abide, to live in, and to be with him. Um, they could not, the people, the, the people at the time, they could not accept Jesus for who he was and we find that they claimed a political freedom but they were under the Roman, Roman rule. They claimed a religious freedom but they were slaves to the letter of the law which they just couldn't let go. And they claimed moral freedom, but they were really a a bond to their own sins. But I like verse 35. It says, but the Son abides forever. And Jesus is speaking of himself as the forever Son. (laughs) 
Um, it's not referring to God created a son, but God, Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it is as he is a forever son, but Jesus Christ, this forever son, saves us and sets us free from all the slavery of sin, the, all the bondages that would come with it. So Christ is here Savior who gives to each one eternal life, and as such, all who believe become sons that abide forever. So you and I are a forever son. <laughs> we are a forever daughter because we have been taken, brought into the family of God by this forgiveness. Therefore, if the son makes you free, verse uh, 36, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed, or you shall in reality be free. And the... You know, the challenge is, is that no matter what goes on in our life, that we feel free to make choices. I always think that uh, how that God has called us to walk with him, and he, he leads us. God never drives us. He never manipulates. He, he always leads. So he leads us in the path of righteousness. He leads us in this path of sonship. He leads us into the, the knowledge of, of his word and of his spirit. And he, he, he you know, this reality of forever sons. So the freedom which the son proclaims was real freedom. It was the setting free of their true life, that we were created by God for a specific purpose, and that God has a way of helping us become that person that we were created to be. And he sets us free from those entanglements of our life that would, you know, trip us up in our, our relationship with him. So a life delivered from the ownership of sin, a life free from serving sin, and now brought into a union with God that God and I are walking together in this whole process. And so we are now set free. The claims of sin are broken. The addictive behaviors are, are broken. The wages of sin are paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. So Whenever we think of the title, how has Jesus' death and resurrection changed our life? How has it changed us? And, and we begin to put together all of these realities, this, this reality of what God has done for us, and we begin to see that this change has made a continual ongoing process of becoming closer with the Lord, and that his his love and his grace and his mercy, and all of this has made a difference in who we are. Well, we move to Hebrews chapter 6. And uh, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely Blessings, blessings, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of the dispute. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutable ability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. In verse 19, this hope we have is an anchor to our soul, both sure, steadfast, 
which endures the presence, be, enters the presence behind the veil. Now, if you understood that, thank you. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, we got that, you know. And I thought, well, let's, let's kind of break it up a little bit. The, uh, the trials and persecution which the, believer, the believing Hebrews faced required patient perseverance, so the book of Hebrews, and he's writing to the Christians who have believed, who do believe in Jesus Christ. Now, for those who were Hebrews, Jews, they were, it was hard for them to, to believe in Jesus because there was a great persecution upon them by other Jews that did not believe in Jesus and did not want Jesus to be accepted as um, a, a Messiah and as a Savior. So, these promises which come at the, at the time of the suffering, that they, they come to these people who are going through suffering, they seem like there's something very distant. Like whenever you're going through a difficulty and someone comes along and says, well, remember the promises of God. Well, yeah, they're way over there. I'm right here and uh, things aren't going so well. I wish those promises would get here. Well, it's kind of what was going on at, at, this, at this time whenever the writer is, going, is presenting this. And regardless of the circumstances that are faced, believers were reminded to always be faithful to what God has in store for them. So what do you possess that will make a difference in your life? See, everyone will face difficulties. You know, and... uh, no matter how strong people think they are, there are circumstances that will crush them. <laughs> Sorry, it just happens. And these circumstances that, that can be a crushing experience, we, you know, it's at that time many people call out to God and God helps them. But for, for us, it's, it's, a, it's a, a safe place that we live that no matter what the circumstances come, there is this understanding that I am safe in the arms of my Father. I have a very hard thing to say that no matter how strong people say they think they are, that there are circumstances that can just crush them. And the only hope is to keep your heart and keep you in hard times is Christ. Jesus will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon Jehovah. That's Isaiah Uh, 26.3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. So the challenge is for us to trust in God during the difficulties. And as we look at Hebrews 6, verse 13, when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Well, God made a promise, okay? He made this promise to Abraham. The language of this verse in reference to Abraham is during this time, you know, as that um, it was a time in which God had given him this ancient promise, through you all the earth will be blessed, and he gives him this promise, but he's going to have to offer Isaac as a, a sacrifice. So here is the challenge of the promise with the reality of obeying God. And, you know, it's, it's a turmoil going on inside of him. And God, having given Abraham a promise, who is the father of all who believe, no, we know that Abraham went through a great spiritual conflict 
But he, he did it in such a way that he didn't, you know, God didn't require child sacrifice, never did, never, never has. And so when he saw that Abraham was willing to offer himself, that was a sign of like how that God the Father was willing to offer his son. So Jeremiah 33 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised. So when God is saying, I made a promise, and that I am able, uh, that I am going to keep it, he's saying that I have promised to the house of Israel, to the house of Judah, I am going to fulfill, and I'm going to perform that promise. Because he could swear by no greater, God made a promise, and this promise is binding, because God, who cannot lie, declared that he would perform and fulfill the promise. Um... What else? In a courtroom. I don't, I don't know if they still do this or not, but on TV it works, you know. <laughs> they put their hand on the Bible and they swear, you know, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. So what are they doing? They're swearing by something that is greater than themselves, this, the, the word. So they are going to be held accountable to the word and to God and also perjury if they lie under oath. <laughs> so... But the idea is they are swearing by something higher and greater than themselves. So when God is making a promise, he is saying that I myself am making a promise and I myself promise that I will fulfill this to you. So this is where we are looking at in, in this with Abraham and with what goes on in the book of Hebrews and, and in our own life. God is saying, I am making a promise to you, and I myself am promising it. So there's no way that it's going to go uh, fail. So in Matthew chapter 5, this is another one of those pro, pro, um, promises. Again, you have heard that the people of old were told, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oath to the Lord. But I say to you, don't use an oath at all. Don't swear by heaven, don't swear by the earth, by Jerusalem. No, do not swear by your own head <laughs> or your own hair. <laughs> uh, yeah, you see, you see, you're supposed to laugh at that one. Uh, in the city of the great king, no one, no, not, and don't swear by your own head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. Whatever you have to say, let your yes be plain and your yes and no be what it is. See, the challenge is, God is telling us, your word should be enough. That no matter what you say, your yes is a promise. And to say, yes, and I swear upon, you know, people, you know, my mother's grave or, you know, my hair. No. <laughs> the idea is, your yes should be yes, and you don't swear by heaven or earth or by this or by that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no because of who you are the reality of your word should be its bond. Now, if Jesus is telling us that type of security and that type of um, honor should be in us as an individual, how much more so is what God has promised us and how much more so is God affirming that he is going to do what he promised? In verse 14 of our text in Hebrews, Surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. This is a real challenge. Now, 
God stated the promise and he he assures us of its fulfillment. And he's saying that surely I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. Now, I know gardening is coming. How many of you are going to plant a garden? Not me, but I thought maybe you would. So, if you take a tomato, tomato, (laughs) if you take a tomato and you cut it and you have one seed, you put that seed in a plant or in in a container and it grows and it becomes a plant. How many tomatoes are on that plant? If it's really good, five, 10, 15 if it's an abundant one. So you take 15 of those tomatoes and you cut them up and you take all the seeds that's inside of those tomatoes and you plant them as individual plants. Okay? So how many plants are you going to have? Hundreds. Okay, so you let those plants grow and you, how many tomatoes are going to be on each of those plants? Let's say 10. And so you take those 10, cut them up, take all their seeds out of all of those plants, and you take each individual seed and plant it. How many tomatoes are you going to have? That's what Jesus is saying, that the, the book is saying here in Hebrews, that surely blessing I will bless you. Through the blessing that I have given you, I will continue to bless you. I will multiply I will multiply, I will multiply you. So in the the scripture, the text is letting us know that God has promised, and there's none greater than him, and he has promised that he will bless us and that we will be multiplied. The blessing that he's given to us will continue to multiply itself. So the challenge is for us to allow that multiplication to take place in our own spirit, in our own life. God has a way of helping us become the person that he wants us to be. And so in doing that, we are taking the talents and the gifts, and we're asking God to bless the talents and the gifts and to multiply the gift that he's already given us. And he promises, because there is none greater than himself, he promises that he will see that it is fulfilled. So increase in growth and multiplying. In multiplying, I will multiply you. Well, it's interesting that God gives this promise to Abraham. And he doesn't have any kids. Okay? Now, you know, the the promise, you look at the stars, the sky, he'll give you descendants more than them. You know, the sand under your feet, there are more descendants than the sand. You know, all those different promises, but he doesn't have a child. In multiplying, I will multiply you. He never lived long enough to see the fulfillment of what he had promised, of what God had promised him, but he believed the promise. So whenever, and the challenge for us is to believe the promise, not what we see. Well, nothing has changed, doesn't mean anything. Because God is the one who has made the promise, and he is the one that is greatest, in making the challenge before us, he who knows our life, he who knows our beginning, our end, he has it all together and he's calling us and challenging us to believe. Uh, verse Hebrews chapter 6. And this is reading from the Phillips translation. Uh, chapter 16, uh, verse 16 of chapter 6. 
Among men, it is customary to swear by something greater than themselves. And if a statement is confirmed by an oath, that is the end of the quibbling. So what he's talking about here, two, two people are arguing about some, something, and another person says, with an oath, this is the truth, it's over. Quibbling is over. Why? Because someone has made an oath that is greater than them, and if they're lying, uh, <laughs> you know, so goes the, the, the whatever. I don't know how they did them in, but they did. So verse 17. So in this matter, God wishes to show beyond doubt that his plan with, was unchangeable and confirmed it with an oath. God confirmed his plan with an oath. I will do this. So that by two utterly immutable things, the word of God and the oath of God, who cannot lie and who are refugees from this dying world, might have a source of strength and might grasp the hope that he holds out to us. So God's word does not need confirmation. The word is reliable because God is faithful. People confirm their promises by the authority of someone or something greater, but no one is greater than God. And God willingly accommodates himself to his children. That's the challenge. God willingly accommodates himself to us, his children. It isn't like we have to go and do all this stuff to make him happy. He makes promises, and, you know, we, we allow him forgiveness of sin, and we've allowed God to come into our life and clean up our act, break the, the bondages of sin, and then he gives to us these promises that he's going to work with us in this whole process. So we, we find that God himself has made accommodations to take care of us. So... Multiplying, he multiplies. So God has promised to bless his children, his forever sons and daughters. Verse 18. The two immutable things. Mutable was a legal term. The, uh, the will then was unchangeable. So immutable means it is a legal will. And the will is unchangeable except by the person who wrote it. And so by the immutable things that what God has promised, nothing can change unless he changes it. And he, he can't change it because God can't lie. <laughs> he made the promise and it's, it is a forever promise. Malachi 3.10, the Lord Almighty says, try this test. Bring a tenth of your earnings, your tithe, so there will be food in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out upon you uh, blessings that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Multiplied blessing upon blessing. You see, it is the immutable character of God, the unchangeableness of God. So what we are relying upon and what we are to be assured of that no matter what happens in our life, we are safe in the arms of our Father, that God has forgiven us of our sins, all the things that would separate us from him. God then has made us or has brought us into this understanding that we are for his forever sons and daughters. And then he has brought about these promises that he will 
accommodate into our lives. Not that we are dictating to him, but that we are following him. Verse 18, the, B in the, section, the, the second part. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Fled for refuge. In the Old Testament, there were cities of refuge. And if someone had killed or someone was killed by accident, the person who was responsible for that, there was two donkeys collided in the, in the, at the intersection. They missed didn't, you know, the red light and they just ran into each other and one died. It was a high-speed accident with the two donkeys. Well, anyhow, the person who committed the, the, uh, the problem, in this, the, uh, he could flee to uh, a city of refuge until his, uh, his, his trial. Well, they fled to refuge. It was the city of, of where God would protect and provide for them. So we have hope in the fulfillment of what God wants to do for us. Not just to sit behind a wall and, and wait for something to happen, but through Jesus' death and resurrection, he changes our life. And verse 19. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. This is a declaration that when we enter into his presence, you know, in the Old Testament, there was a veil, and behind the veil was the Holy of Holies that represented the presence of God. And he's telling us that we have access into the very presence of God. He has made it accountable, immutable, accommodating for us that we can enter into his presence. We find that faith, faith is an attitude that we have between the time God gives us a promise and the moment that it is fulfilled. So our faith is in what God has promised in our life and where he is taking us. We don't live with an instantaneous gratification. We live with an understanding that God is in the process of accommodating and working all things together. Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. He waited for a son. And after he was well beyond his ability and Sarah's ability to have children, they had a son. The promises of God, God is, you know, he says, is it where he gave the oath, I myself am making this statement to you. If you confess your sins, you are forgiven. If you pray, you will, God will hear and answer your prayer. That God has promised to bless and to lead and multiplying I will multiply. Take a seed from a tomato and plant it and take and plant it again and all that. So we find that the blessings that God has promised to us will continue to grow and multiply. So it is critical that we trust him to carry out his plans and to do so in the right timing. God's timing never leaves things unfinished. What God has promised you and it hasn't come to pass, is okay. He's still in the process of bringing it to pass. He's, it's his divine timing. So as we think about Easter, and we think about the resurrection, what difference does it make in our life? We have a living hope. We have a promise given by an everlasting Father 
who has promised that he will never leave us and that in this whole process he has plans to bless and to guide and to multiply upon multiply upon blessing that he has set in our life. And it is sometimes as easy as understanding that if you take one seed, plant it, you'll get a plant. And you take those seeds, plant them, you get multiple plants. Take those seeds, multiply times multiplied. So what is it that God wants to multiply in our life? We can trust him. He has promised by his, he promised by the authority of who he is. He will honor his word in our life. Two immutable things. His word and he cannot lie. Amen. Father, we thank you that you hear our prayers and God, there are many challenges that come to us in our life. And we ask that as we place these difficulties, we place them before you and ask you, God, to take care of them. We ask, Lord, for your healing. We ask for your strength. We ask that you would guide us in the path of righteousness for your namesake. We pray, Lord, that you would watch over us. Those who are sick, we pray for your healing. We pray for your wisdom to be with the doctors and staff. We pray, Lord, that you who promised to multiply all these things, Help us, Lord, to see what we can do, what is on our part, and God, how that the multiplication is on yours. So bless, we pray. Guide us, we ask. Hear our prayers. Answer us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs>